Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Last week, President Biden issued a sweeping executive order on competition, declaring that the past 40 years of antitrust policy had been a failed experiment. We are now 40 years into the experiment of letting giant corporations accumulate more and more power. I believe the experiment failed. The Federal Trade Commission, meanwhile, has taken on two of the world's richest men, Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett, in just the past few weeks. All of it has the business press panicking. Apple in the hot seat on the Hill. Lawmakers also have their sights set on Amazon, Facebook, Google. President Biden perhaps signaling a tough stance against big tech. Could there be a regulatory crackdown? Absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest risk. There's a new sheriff in town, Lena Khan, voted to take the reins of the FTC. This is the uh, ultimate regulator, big tech regulator, taking over the FTC. My Republican colleagues feel that she will be very aggressive and unfair. I mean, everybody's very scared of her. So uh, they are scared of her. It's really interesting. So how did antitrust policy change so fundamentally in such a short amount of time? And is this a revolution or is it a minor insurrection that will be put down quickly by the forces of concentrated power? We're joined today to answer those questions by Zephyr Teachout, law professor and author of the recent book, Break em Up, Recovering Our Freedom from Big Ag, Big Tech, and Big Money. Zephyr, welcome to Deconstructed. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for, for joining us. And so I actually wanted to start by uh, mentioning a few names for you. And, okay. and having you uh, give some some background to people about you know who these folks are, and and why they're relevant to today's antitrust discussion, and and this is not a pop quiz because I suspect these are all actually, uh, if not close friends of yours, ex- at least people that you've worked with for a long time. Yes. So let's start with Tim Wu. Who is who is Tim Wu? Yeah, Tim Wu is somebody who I have been actually fairly close friends with, as well as colleagues with for many, many years. But, th- but that's not why he's important. Um, <laughs> b- before this moment, probably best known for coining the phrase network neutrality and being an advocate for over a decade now for the position that there are certain areas of our economy that have gotten so gobbled up, so they're that uh, choke point control, especially when it comes to areas of the internet and telecom, that a handful of corporations so control them that we need a pretty significant policy change in the way that we deal with them. And at this point, Tim is now a uh, advisor at the White House and has played a really critical role in what Joe Biden did last week. Yes, with his ex- executive order on yes, on yes. competition, which which we'll get into soon. Yeah. yeah, his technical title, I just looked it up. He's the special assistant to the president for technology and competition policy on yes. the National Economic Council. Yes. So so Tim is known for net neutrality, but I think what is important, and we saw this in this executive order, really expansive executive order, is that in fact, although he's known for tech, 
he has a vision of antitrust and anti-monopoly that goes beyond tech. And we are at a moment in our country where at the federal level in terms of legislation, at the federal level in terms of Joe Biden, and at the state level, there's a massive rethinking about how we should approach corporate concentration, uh, antitrust, and what kinds of policies and approaches we should bring to bear on what's you know pretty clearly a pretty radically concentrated economy. That second name I wanted to put to you is Bharat Ramamurti. Yes. So uh, you probably know his technical title in the in the White House. I, I, I'd have to go look that up as well. I, I will give you the answer to that one. <laughs> yes. He's now deputy director of the National Economic Council. Okay. Yeah. So he is a longtime um, ally of Elizabeth Warren, um, a, a, a really wonderful human being as well and has been a key driver, again, within the White House and for a long time preceding that, for rethinking the excessive power of big banks and other big corporations. Third name to throw at you, Lena Khan. Yes. So uh, Lena is the new chairperson of the Federal Trade Commission. And Lena is best known for two things. Uh, she's only 32 years old, but she's already been involved in two really historic <laughs> moments. One was the publication of a law review article. Hmm. Uh, rarely seen as a big political moment, but even as a law student, she published a law review article that really took direct aim at 40 years of thinking about antitrust policy. And the second thing she was known for before this really significant role that she's playing now is for being really the key staffer for the antitrust subcommittee's extraordinary investigation into the digital marketplace into Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook. Lena Khan, as the chairperson of the FTC, um, is now in a position to, and she's already very clearly signaled that she will, to take these big intellectual shifts in uh, antitrust policy, uh, make them into policy, make them into rulemaking, change the enforcement patterns of the Federal Trade Commission. And and before we go on, I, if you think, well, yeah, there's lots of agencies. Uh, the FTC sounds nice, uh, but it's never really played this central role. Well, it hasn't played a central role in economic policy for the last 40 years, so you wouldn't be wrong. But both um, FDR and Ronald Reagan, in very different directions, mm -hmm. used the Federal Trade Commission to really shift course on economic policy. For FDR, it was central to his second term, where a massive enforcement effort at the Federal Trade Commission was not the whole thing, but was sort of the, the leading edge of driving a more decentralized economy that's more friendly to both small businesses and workers. And with Reagan, it was the opposite. The tearing down of the antitrust regime of the prior 30-odd years, the FDR antitrust regime, was central to what Reagan did. And when Reagan's FTC got in there, they stopped enforcing and they established a totally new approach towards when to enforce, how to think about antitrust. And, and speaking of the FTC, the final name to put to you is Rohit Chopra. Yes. So Rohit Chopra is currently a commissioner at the Federal Trade Commission. 
And as a commissioner, he has been involved in writing opinions about what the Federal Trade Commission is doing or more often not doing the enforcement actions they are declining to bring, the mergers they are declining to stop. And during his years as a commissioner at the Federal Trade Commission, he has built up a body of dissents that I sometimes compare to the great dissents of Brandeis in the Supreme Court, dissents which later formed the basis of our current thinking about free speech for dissidents. So Chopra, in these series of dissents at the Federal Trade Commission, has laid the groundwork for a change in competition policy. Biden has chosen him to be the new head of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, another independent agency where he will also play a key role in defining fair competition. So you have now these four different extraordinary leaders in different positions, two in the White House, two leading independent agencies, all of whom have a a profound alignment on a vision of the, the dangers of concentrated power and the opportunities to respond to that. And can, can you talk a little bit about Lena Khan's law review article? What, what was the argument that she was trying to make and what was the idea that she was trying to dismantle? Yeah, I, I think it's actually, I'm going to start with the idea that she's trying to dis- dismantle because it's so pervasive that if you're listening, you may have, uh, without thinking, <laughs> may have embedded it in your own thinking. This is an idea that was pushed um, Robert Bork most famously, also Aaron Director, key thinkers at what is broadly understood or talked about as the Chicago School of Economics, which you've talked about on this this show before. And the idea epitomized in a Another law review article that changed the country. <laughs> sort of, there's there's moments where law review articles and books can really uh, can really shape the direction of of policy. Robert Bork wrote an article called the Antitrust Paradox, and in it he argued that antitrust law, as practiced from the 30s through the 70s, was what was in Bork's target uh works what do you what's what's the metaphor people use the <laughs> in, his, in his sights in his sights right there you <laughs> in go. his sights um and he argued that antitrust law as practiced was protecting competitors not competition and was actually harming consumers because it was blocking mergers other kinds of exclusive contracts and business practices that would lead to effectively lower prices for for toothpaste. Uh, And I'm I'm collapsing this into Shakespeare in 30 seconds, but but this is the most important thing Bork does, is the way to solve what he sees as a series of paradoxes and contradictions within antitrust law is to recognize, in Bork's words, that the sole purpose of This whole suite of antitrust laws is consumer welfare. It is not to protect the relative power of workers as compared to their employers, even if their employers have extraordinary amounts of power to set the terms of wages and benefits. It is not to protect small businesses that are in a position 
of being squeezed in the way that Amazon sellers are now mm -hmm. squeezed by Amazon or Uber drivers uh, squeezed by Uber. The, the purpose of antitrust law, according to Bork, is consumer welfare. And in practice, that ends up being consumer prices. Mm -hmm. So this may sound kind of abstract, but it when the rubber hit the road, when Reagan adopted this policy, it has profound implications. And and this is what, what Khan was taking on. And in her law review article, she goes into great detail about the ways in which Amazon cross-subsidizes, engages in practices that end up squeezing the sellers, squeezing potential competitors, dampening innovation. Now, I, I do want to say something uh, about this article and about Khan in general. It's a little pet peeve of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Khan's article was really important about Amazon, but it was about much more than Amazon. It was actually about agriculture, and it's about airlines, and it's about pharma, and it's about the way we think about economic policy. So my pet peeve is you will often see Khan described as a thorn in the side of big tech or a mm -hmm. big tech opponent, <laughs> anti-tech. She's not anti-tech at all. One of the things that we have seen is that these big tech companies are destroying innovation. They're buying up competitors. Mm -hmm. they're, they're choking people who might have more exciting ideas. It's pro-tech and it's about economic theory, not just tech policy. And mm -hmm. what Khan, along with Wu and, and Chopra and others, and I'm part of this movement, is a, an attempt to recover something that Louis Brandeis held dear, which is starting with the world as it is and power as it operates in practice. So it's very fact-based. It's very much focusing on like what actually happens, not mm -hmm. what the theory does. And that's where Khan's training is. She started talking to chicken farmers about their experience. She wrote great articles about seeds and patents and Monsanto. So she actually started in ag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then and then I believe um, that those insights helped her look at big tech without the um, uh, without the blurriness and the sort of glamour that tech sometimes brings, where people say, tech is totally new, everything's disrupted, right. it's never happened before. She went in there and she's like, hey, I've seen this, I saw this with Monsanto. I, <laughs> yep. I, I know these practices because this is what Tyson does. And, and I think it's important to understand her as a pro-innovation, pro-worker, pro-small uh, business, pro-changing uh, the way that we approach equality. That's, that's a really interesting point, because when, when Tim Wu uh, got appointed to the White House, the headlines were, you know, Biden appoints uh, big tech <laughs> critic. When Lena Khan, you know, was nominated, it was, you know, a Wall Street Journal headline was, you know, Le you know Biden nominates uh, big, big tech yeah. critic or, you know, foe of, foe of big tech. I, I actually grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is like the oh, chicken yeah. farming you know, capital yeah. of the world, practically. And one of the first articles I ever did, almost 20 years ago at this point, was about chicken farming. And that's a really interesting insight that that, that was some of yeah. her first work because the the concentration uh, in in ag in general and, and in the poultry industry in particular is, is yes. futile. It's, 
it's it's modern day yep. sharecropping. Like the and and friends of mine that I grew up with are involved with you know are they call them chicken yes. growers um, because all they do is take the take uh, eggs um, you know from say it's you know Tyson or Purdue and the, Purdue still owns yeah. those eggs. All, they, they're they're just living in this chicken house. But they paid and, for the mortgage. <laughs> but they paid for the mortgage. They're pay, they're paying all of these costs, and they are then paid by Purdue whatever Purdue decides to and pay. Purdue them. changes up they, the prices take, every month. Right, just all the time. They take all the risk. Any any of the you know price swings upward are going to be absorbed by Purdue in their profit margin. Any swings downward are going to be a hit against the farmers. You you practically at this point have to have something like maybe half a dozen of these chicken houses just to make like a lower income living. So and that's an enormous amount of work. And 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 we're talking ten twenty thousand yes birds in in a chicken house. And so I can. I can imagine how, if as a journalist, she's, she started looking at ag first, because it's so stridently in, yeah. in your face, the, the absolute raw power, you, you would then, it would be easier for you to see that, that power in other sectors, even where it's a bit more yeah. uh, veiled. Well, well, Ryan, think about an Amazon seller and a grower. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. initially, Amazon seller comes in with, oh, great, I have a platform. I can, I can sell my, uh, I don't know, <laughs> pick, your, pick your product. A glowing <laughs> hemp frisbee. Hemp bracelets. Right, yes, yeah. right. I can, I can sell my uh, hemp bracelets uh, and I'll use this platform. This is great. It's a little bit, and, I'll, and yes, I'll, I'll put in a big investment to make sure that I can pay my workers and, and I'll take, out the, I'll take out the loan, right? So this is like the grower. I'll get to be an independent farmer. And then Amazon initially draws the sellers in, dominates the market. And now if you are selling hemp bracelets or glowing Frisbees and you're not selling on Amazon, you're not reaching a, a, a mm-hmm. really massively significant part of the online marketplace. You've got to be there, right? And now Amazon's like, hey, okay, great. In exchange for being on our marketplace, here's what you have to do to be well enough ranked that people know you exist, right? In search results. And search results are by no means neutral, right? So Amazon mm-hmm. collects data in the way that Tyson collects data from the sellers. It changes up prices, it experiments. And at this point, it's taking 20 to 30% of the cut of the sales because it put itself in that choke point position. So the Tyson-Purdue model is increasingly the model for big tech. It's the role that Facebook plays in relation to uh, news organizations, you know, t- taking as much value mm-hmm. as it can, sitting in a position of total dependence uh, where many news organizations are wholly dependent on, on YouTube Google and you know, YouTube obviously owned by Google and Facebook. So once you see that this is actually the model of a lot of our economy, you can see, well, you know, this is actually what antitrust law was designed to do, is, is to protect mm-hmm. from the Purdue's of the world, Amazon's of the world, sitting in a position where they can squeeze, control, manipulate, and take all the upside, you know. 
Uh, and the Democratic costs are, are extraordinary. Lena was actually one of the first reporters to talk to farmers about how not only were they getting squeezed, but they were scared. And that there's enormous amount of fear in the way that this, you know, feudal, as you, as you rightly say, this feudal economy works. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And so this has so far led to this executive order on yeah. on competition that was, as I understand it, you know, largely written by Tim Wu and, and Barat. Yeah. Um, and it, it it cuts across 72, it includes 72 different bullets. Yeah. Um, but what, what are, you know, when, when people hear executive order, they yeah. hear, okay, well, it's a piece of paper. Right. You know, congratulations yes. to you for putting words down on paper. Yeah. No, nothing is going to change in 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 the real world. But this this executive order does appear to have some teeth because yeah. there are actually laws already on the books. So it's not just an order; it is in order to execute existing laws yeah. in a way that they haven't been executed for decades. And yeah. So, what what to you are the are the major takeaways from that order that are actually going to have an impact on the real world. Yeah. So I see the executive order is doing three, I mean, does three things. And I want to talk about all three and then we can get into the weeds of the particulars. One is it issued, as you say, 72 directives to over a dozen agencies in the executive branch. Of those, some of the agencies, the president controls. So when you have, Mm -hmm. when you have, the president telling Pete Buttigieg what to do, Pete Buttigieg better do it, right? Yep. This is not a, a request to please consider. It is a directive. And that's important when you look at HHS. These are cabinet members who have to do what the president says. Others of these directives are to independent agencies like the Federal Trade Commission and the mm-hmm. CFPB. So, Khan and Chopra. And so I think it plays a couple different roles. One is it makes some, you know, we're not inside, but it makes some uh, agencies do things they probably don't want to do. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, there's been 40 years of an ideology that concentration isn't our, our job. So we can't know from the outside where there was agreement and where there wasn't. But some of this is the president saying, hey, you got to do this. Now, for something like the FTC or the CFPB, this executive order is deeply aligned, but Khan and Chopra are going to be in the sights, in the crosshairs of some of the most powerful interests in world history, big lobbyists. Uh, we've seen the, the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal. You had a great quip on this. Totally obsessed. <laughs> totally obsessed. With, they've, they've lost their minds. Yeah. They've written four articles about Lena Khan. She's been in office less than a month. Right. That she's, uh, she's, as Fox News is to AOC, yeah. 
Wall Street journalist at Lita Khan. Yes, as Fox News, it was perfect. Um, but more seriously, she is very clearly going to be attacked for every move. And she's going to be attacked with a lot of big money behind her. It's really important that the Biden administration clearly signaled that the wind is at her back and the president is fully supportive of the direction that the FTC is taking. That really matters. Uh, so the directives in that direction you know, were to say, really significant, asking the FTC to put a ban on non-compete clauses. Talk about anti-competitive mm -hmm. behavior. Your employer says, in order to get this job at Burger King, you have to agree not to work for my competitor. The Biden administration is saying to the FTC to do this. My strong guess is this is a direction the FTC was already headed, but it really helps to say, no, the, the president is fully behind this. Same with, uh, same with the CFPB. Right. It, it seems like the Wall Street Journal and that, that element of the right of the business wing is, is trying to kind of cleave Lena Khan off from the administration. Exactly. And say that this is a rogue, renegade regulator who has to be reined in. Yeah. But for the Biden administration to say, no, here is an executive order. We're, we're specifically directing her. Exactly. To do, to do these things that, that you're saying. Yeah. You want to take it's, on Khan, you're taking on me. <laughs> right. And now, it, it feels like that would be an even stronger argument if the Department of Justice were, were yes. riding in with her, too. So I want to talk about yeah. the, this, this, this vacancy. We're now deep, pretty deep into July of the first year of the presidency. Yeah. And he still has not appointed uh, an assistant attorney general to run the antitrust division at the Department of Justice. The, all the reporting is that... Uh, Jonathan Cantor, who is another name I can, I'll, I'll ask you about now, is yeah. a is a leading candidate for that position, yet hasn't been named. So, who's Jonathan Cantor, and what is going on with the White House's inability <laughs> to fill this role? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's some real. Uh, it's a it's a really weird situation for those of us who care a lot about this issue, which I think should be all of us, <laughs> because you get this great executive order on the one hand, and then nobody at the DOJ. So the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice actually share a lot of authority. And then there's some areas like criminal sanctions, where the Department of Justice is the enforcer who can bring uh, criminal uh, sanctions for um, antitrust violations. And then there's some a sector-specific area where the Department of Justice has sole authority. It's a it's a complicated blend, but they often have dual um, jurisdiction over uh, over uh, uh, competition. So you have and and the 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 it does sound in the weeds, but it really matters. And again, just to look at history, it really mattered for Reagan and it really mm -hmm. mattered for FDR. Um, the person in charge of antitrust enforcement at the Department of Justice plays a absolutely pivotal role in driving the um, presidents and the uh, executive branches, the Department of Justice's economic policy. It's at the heart of the economic policy. It has been, I'm just repeating what you said, but, but to get to the weirdness of it, we've had six months of a presidency that has all these signs that it cares enormously about, mm -hmm. about competition. 
and it doesn't have a permanent position, a person in this slot. And Jonathan Cantor is the uh, leading candidate from this, let's just call it the neo-Brandeisian wing, the, the wing of, the, of thinking about anti-monopoly that says fairness matters. It's more than consumer welfare, and we've been under-enforcing. So both the purposes are broader than consumer welfare. It's also about democratic purposes, small businesses and labor, all that matters. And we've just been asleep at the wheel while there have been uh, all these mergers and asleep at the wheel during um, decades of uncompetitive practice. The person who represents that position is uh, Jonathan Cantor, who among other things is, uh, I think in your reporting, uh, maybe it was David Dan's reporting, um, I'd have to go back, was sort of the key architect of some of the most uh, well-crafted cases brought against Google. As you may, mm-hmm. as everybody's aware, there's all these cases against Google, Facebook, and there's different levels of precision and skill, and Cantor is on the leading edge. And, and which now they're trying to use as a Disqual- as a disqualifying right, yes. char- characteristic, right, just yes. like Amazon and Facebook have both said that Lena Khan should recuse herself from regulating them because she has expressed ideas about antitrust yeah. uh, that, that don't comport with their business practices. They've she never heard of Ben Not Bernanke. be able to regulate like, them. Like, what, God forbid we have somebody in office who has uh, studied something. <laughs> right, and, <laughs> and they've said the same thing about Jonathan Cantor, that yeah. because... He has sued Google in the past. Yeah. That's that's that well, that actually, would think, disqualify you know, like him, which you, is just a remarkable assertion. Yes, right. When you when you want to uh, bring on somebody who is going to craft great cases against forget tech, uh, just great antitrust cases, you want to bring somebody who has in fact crafted great antitrust cases. Right. So he's the leading candidate. There's some other names that have been floated. The other names. I think right now there were some names floated that were sort of deep inside like tech lobbying world. I think Biden is at least no longer talking about them. But there are other people who come more from, well, frankly, from the Obama uh, antitrust enforcement world. Mm-hmm. I think Jonathan Salat yeah. is still ni- 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 Nice human beings, as far as I can tell. Um, but their worldview, their whole history suggests that they would be much more aligned with the last 40 years of antitrust enforcement, um, as opposed to looking for a significant change. And if you do that, I mean, frankly, I, I feel like it's it's too late for Biden to do anything but put in somebody who fits with everything else he's done. Because if he puts in somebody who's from the old school antitrust enforcement, and, and just to understand, you're like, okay, wait, how does the Obama world fit with the Reagan world? Well, what they'll tell you is they'll say, the framework isn't bad, but we could use more enforcement and more money for enforcement. That's that's sort of the, um, mm-hmm. and I, I won't speak to Salad in particular, but that's the sort of Obama world enforcement people. They 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 want to stick with the consumer welfare approach. Um, they want to stick. They're still at the tail end of Bork Reagan, but they're saying even within their worldview, we can do things instead of saying no, no, no. Which is what uh, you know what I would argue is. No, that, that worldview has failed. And, and, and Ryan, this brings me to something that I, I didn't get a chance to say, and, and, I, and I think it's, it's, to me, the most important antitrust thing that actually happened in the last month is that Joe Biden used the word failed. It was amazing. 
Hmm. So in his speech, uh, where he issued this executive orders, uh, this executive order with seventy-two directives, he said one that uh, our antitrust policy has been terrible for workers. Huge deal. That's nothing that uh, that is not something we have heard from a president for forty-five years. Mm-hmm. Right, because you're not even supposed to think about workers when right, it comes yeah, to it's, antitrust. It's, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, he talks about it as a driver of inequality. But to me, the most important is he, he said, We are now 40 years into the experiment of letting giant corporations accumulate more and more power. And where, what have we gotten from it? Less growth, weakened investment, fewer small businesses. Too many Americans who feel left behind. Too many people who are poorer than their parents. I believe the experiment failed. We are 40 years into an experiment, and that experiment has failed. I mean, that is music. (laughs) Because that doesn't say, we missed that exclusive dealing problem over there in Amazon six years ago, or we missed that merger. It's not, we've got the right framework, but we, we, we missed a few things. When he said a 40 year experiment has failed, that means there is an openness to not just difference at the margins, but a whole different approach. And I got to tell you, I am working, for instance, at the state level in New York State. Joe Biden saying that helps antitrust laws in New York State. It helps enforcers in uh, <laughs> Maryland. It helps. What I'm saying is it it opens up the opportunity for people who have been shaking other people's shoulders to say, we've got to do this differently in AG's offices and in state houses and in the federal government. Him saying, we, I am off this ship, I'm going in a different direction. That, I, it mattered to me that he brought some muscle with it, <laughs> 72 directives, but, but the speech really mattered. And if Joe Biden says that, he shouldn't be putting in somebody who represents, uh, you know, maybe the, the better part of that, <laughs> you know, like a more aggressive part of that failure. He should be bringing in somebody who is rowing in the same direction. It, so if he brings in somebody who's going to be fighting with Khan and Chopra and the White House all the time, that's just a recipe for, for failure on all fronts. You don't want the DOJ and FTC fighting, and they can. They've, there have been cases, I wish I'd looked it up right before this, that there was a case a couple of years ago where they filed a briefs on opposite oh, side gosh. of the case. So, so, so it, it, yeah. it, we, you can't have them with different, uh, different approaches towards the economy. And Biden, to me, said, my approach towards the economy is if you allow massive concentration, it's going to lead to inequality, it's going to be bad for workers, it's going to be bad for innovation. If we are going to get out of this post-COVID uh, moment, we are going to need to really break th- shake things up and break things up. And to me, that's Cantor. You know, he should, he, should, he should appoint Cantor. So who knows what's happening behind the scenes, but it is a weird a weird vacancy. Um, you guys have written about this, how there's sort of, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's vacancies in other areas too. So it's not just in this area, but, but he, he doesn't have a lot of time to get moving in this direction. Okay. And la- last question for you. I don't, I don't know if you saw, there was a national law journal article recently about how uh, a, a bunch of FTC staff attorneys are, yes. are dusting off their resumes. Yes. Um, and the top line of the piece seemed to be that they were frustrated with Lena Khan's approach, but underneath it, it talked about the gold rush Yeah, because Lena Lena Khan and and the Biden administration actually enforcing antitrust law in a real way is also 
a, a massive uh, job creation program right. for antitrust corporate attorneys. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I actually, I saw this article as uh, the least surprising news uh, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, that we're talking about uh, FTC that is looking to enforce the law and do its job in rulemaking. And that represents a significant change. So that significant change will necessarily lead to some staff turnover. And that's, you know, it's, it's really important that the staff be on board with this, with this vision. But your other point is dead on. <laughs> you know who's hiring antitrust attorneys? It's not just big tech, but big tech is, is laying out the cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the details in that piece was that there were some big firms that were saying, we don't even have our, a chance to get our hands on these people because big tech has already bought them off, effectively. <laughs> uh, so the white shoe firms are coming in second. And we started seeing this a couple of years ago, is that Amazon is just swooping up uh, state aid, uh, former people who, people who worked at um, state uh, attorney general's offices. But you are looking at lawyers rushing over to uh, get a piece of the cash. And, and this revolving door problem is a huge, huge problem, not just for antitrust in the FTC sense, but for Washington. And so, so what, what's, what's fascinating, though, about the assault from the Wall Street Journal on Lena Khan is that the first senator uh, to defend her after one of their more kind of aggressive attacks was none other than Josh Hawley, yeah. who who said yep. that this Wall Street Journal criticism was, in fact, the reason why this meant that she was a good yeah. FTC chair. Yeah. And this isn't something that uh, a regulator under fire uh, has really ever had before. So what what's going on that has made this um, shake up both parties? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you asked it, because it is one of the most important things to understand about uh, antitrust, anti-monopoly is it does not fit into neat political lines. When Khan was appointed to the uh, FTC, she got 21 Republican votes. When uh, David Cicilline uh, and Pramila Jayapal and others introduced their suite of tech-specific legislation in the House, it was bipartisan with Republican support and some Democrats opposed in, mm-hmm. in the, in the a markup out of the Judiciary Committee. And when you look at polling, you see on the ground massive support for a new president taking on corporate monopolies, a new president taking on big tech in particular, more enforcement in these areas. And, in, and when you see massive bipartisan support, it isn't like, oh, we got 51% of Republicans and 80% of Democrats. <laughs> It's actually that the numbers are about the same for Democrats and Republicans. So on the ground, the support for breaking up corporate monopolies is one of the more truly bipartisan areas. And, you know, looking at this Republican Party, it's hard to believe that there can be such a thing as as actual bipartisan um, uh, behavior. But we're seeing it. We see it with Ken Buck and we see it with some of the Republicans in the Senate. Now, we, we got to see where the rubber hits the road on the legislation. Uh, uh, but 
so far, there is actual bipartisan support. And then there's some real bad faith actors like Jim Jordan, who um, say that they're anti-big tech, but seem to be just, it seems like right, their they job- just mean they're, they just mean that they're mad that they're, they think they're getting shadow banned by Twitter. Yeah, right. The other part of that, Ryan, is there's some Democrats who you might think, oh, if this is taking on big corporations, we're probably fine with them. No, <laughs> we actually have some real work to do. In the, in the House, we're seeing the uh, mostly a, a lot of California Democrats carrying water for big tech. And while you have Ken Buck supporting uh, bills, uh, important bills that would uh, allow for basically stop big tech from buying up competitors. On the other hand, you have, you know, Swalwell and Lofgren and others saying we don't like these bills. So the politics here are weird. It means if you're a progressive, don't assume that your lawmaker is on board yet. Call them up. And if you have a law degree... And you're fired up about this. The FTC oh, I know. Uh, may be hiring. Oh, I, I was going to say that the FTC, the, 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 uh, the other side of this is that when people leave, it actually, it gives Khan a great opportunity and it is the place to work. <laughs> you know? It is going to be so exciting. You are going to see the most extraordinary talent from all over the country flooding to say, this is where I want to be. And then in 10 years, you can sell out and get extraordinarily rich. No, right. No. <laughs> but Zephyr Teach Out, um, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It was really great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 